Welcome, everybody, to another episode of A Conversation With here on Keyboard Kimura. I'm E. Spencer Kite, joined today by, I, I was going to say Hall of Fame veteran veteran <laughs> MMA reporter, but like we don't have an MMA, like we don't have that wing yet. This ain't like major professional sports, but it should be one day. And when it does get there, you will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He is John Morgan of the underground, of the UG. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate you coming through. Hey, man, you give me an intro like that, calling me a Hall of Famer, I'll join anytime you want. But no, man, I appreciate it, man. I always appreciate uh, your commitment to the sport and your commitment to telling the stories of the people in it. So uh, when you invited me, you're absolutely honored to, to take some time, brother. I mean, listen, I think anybody that follows this sport understands and, and would, would describe you as a, as a Hall of Famer as well. And a first ballot one at that. The man with the first question, the man with the blue shirt, which we will get to later on in this. But we start as we always do. John Morgan, when did you fall in love with combat sports? Man, it's funny. So as a kid, as a little kid, I grew up watching professional wrestling, right? WWE. Of course. Saturday night's main event, you know, that sort of stuff. And then I was around like eight or nine years old uh, when I figured out that it was scripted. And I will never say fake. Uh, especially since the after the last time I got to go see a pro wrestling show to go see CM Punk and I got to yep. see AEW up close, I realized how many bumps those guys are taking, how physical. So I will not say fake. I was going to say you you call fights alongside a professional yeah. wrestler, and if you called it fake, he will most likely Doctor D <laughs> David Schultz you once or twice and be like, "Does this feel fake?" Exactly. So I will not say that, but I will say scripted. So once I figured that out, I kind of shied away from it for a little bit. And then it's it's a wild story, man. Just I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and uh, through a friend of a friend of my mom's, uh, we were at a gym opening in Dallas, and it was Guy Mesger um, who was opening a gym in Dallas, and it was just a kickboxing gym. This is pre uh, MMA days, um, but I went into this gym opening and, and walked in there. And uh, first of all, Guy Mesger, I mean, what a cool dude, right? You're a kid seeing that dude, you know all you know, muscled up and got the ponytail and he's, you know, there's highlight stuff of him on the walls. I'm like, that's a cool dude right there, you know, kickboxer. But then he had this tape playing on loop on VHS of, of Muay Thai from Thailand. And I was, and, and I just, I saw this Muay Thai happening. I'm like, oh, that's what a real fight looks like. Like, right. yes, I, this is awesome. And so that, that was awesome to me. And then started, you know, as I got home, started, you know, trying to read more about Guy and, and, and the, the journey that he was on. And then that's right around, you know, I was, you know, I was about 15 years old when the, when the UFC started and, and Pancras and, and, you know, kind of was an early adopter of, of, of renting those from, from VHS tapes, from Blockbuster and that sort of thing. And uh, it all just snowballed from there. So I know in doing my prep for this, that the original little kid dream, like, like lots of us, was I want to be a professional athlete. That's right. And then like lots of us, it was, I'm never going to be a professional athlete. <laughs> so let's just pivot this into something else that I can be around professional sports. When did you decide, how did you decide that covering sports, being a sports writer was the thing you wanted to do? And who were the people that sort of shaped that for you in the early days of things? Yeah, it's interesting. And you're spot on about that. You know, I, love, I grew up playing baseball, basketball, soccer, you know, and I enjoyed it all. Um, you know, watched a lot of football, obviously growing up in Texas um, and, and love sports, but did realize early on that's not going to happen. But uh, around high school, you know, we had a high school newspaper and that was the first time I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like I can be a part of the high school, you know, journalism team here and I can, you know, help tell the story of these of these athletes and, and, and be around it and cover the team and, you know, to talk to people about their wins and losses, their journey, what's going on. And, and that's when I, I realized, hey, I, I think this is what I want to do. 
Um, and and really, honestly, yeah, it was my my, my high school uh, sports uh, uh, well, my newspaper editor and yearbook editor, uh, Miss Rich Meyer. Actually, I still remember to this day. Uh, that kind of started instilling those early principles in me of, of what it meant to be a journalist and, um, you know, how you went about going and doing things the right way. And, and, and that's when I first started doing it. Now, at the time, obviously, uh, you know, I, I graduated high school in like 96, so still the very early days of, of MMA. So certainly did not put the two passions together by any stretch of the imagination, but started to realize like, oh, this is a way I could still be around sports and the business of sports without actually being a player. Right. From there, from high school, you and I are roughly the same age. You graduated in 96. I graduated in 97. Um, was it on to university for J school? Was it going through and pursuing this? Because we're in a spot right now where there's sort of this, this cross-section of bunch of kids, bunch bunch of people that have gone through, done some kind of post-secondary education, got all the tools, all the training. And then there's dudes like me that have a psychology degree tucked around this office somewhere. I was just like, but I like writing. So what was your path from that point of, I think I want to do some of this sports writing stuff. Let me figure out how to get into it more. A little bit of both, to be honest with you. So I, I wasn't fully committed to it, but I was like, some of my studies are going to be in this. And so I'm going to kind of give myself this option to better myself and give myself opportunities. But it was really still just kind of general studies and that sort of stuff, because I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I was I, I, I was putting myself through school by working in the restaurant business. And honestly, I'd like the restaurant business a lot, too, man. And, and I saw opportunities to move up there. You know, I started at 16 years old as a, as a bus boy and then started hosting and then uh, started working in the kitchen and, and started as a dishwasher and then, you know, kind of made my way up there. And then, you know, once I turned 18 and I could serve alcohol, you know, then I was waiting tables and you started seeing the kind of money you could make. Uh, and, and I was supporting myself at that point and, you know, taking home that cash every single day. I was like, okay, hold on. This isn't industry isn't bad either. You know, like I'm making money, like there's stuff going on. So I was kind of torn between two worlds. Um, and I was doing a little bit of both. And then, you know, when I got done with school, uh, there was basically two offers on the table, and one was to go work for the Dallas Morning News for like twenty five thousand. The other was to go into restaurant management for fifty thousand. And I was like, "Well, that's not a hard decision to make. Like, right. I'm I'm gonna go where this money is. I'm not that passionate about writing." <laughs> uh, right. so, so I went in, I went into restaurant management and and just kind of gave away that hope or dream or thought for a long time. And um and and that career worked well, man. I mean, by twenty four, I was a general manager. Um, you know, so I was the youngest GM in the company. I, I, I was running a, a restaurant that had like a hundred employees working for it. We were doing like, you know, $4 million a year in sales. So, I mean, I learned a lot about the business side of thing and the fact that, you know, I'm managing a, a, a pretty profitable P and L, um, and, and, and learning how to manage people, you know, I'll never forget, you know, being 24 years old and I got, you know, servers older than me that can't get to work on time. And I'm like, bro, I was out at the bar last night too. You know what I mean? Like, and I still got here on time. And so just learning to manage people and deal with all that was fun. And, and then got to a point around like 27, 28 years old where everything was going good. But I was like, hold on, man, like this is good. But like this isn't really like the passion or what I wanted to do. It's what I ended up choosing to do because it was making me some money and I didn't hate it. But let me maybe give myself a chance to go back into it because I just didn't want to look up at like 40 or 50 years old and be like, well, what if I'd have tried? You know, the way I right. looked at it at the time was like, I don't think restaurants as a concept are going anywhere. Like I could probably this will always it. be. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I still tell probably. my wife now. Yeah. I still tell my wife now you, again, you and I very similar in some of these pursuits. And I still say now, like if this goes sideways, I can always go back to bartending and waiting tables. Now they're not necessarily <laughs> going to hire 
a 45 year old bearded Canadian man. <laughs> but you can tell yourself that that's the case. It, it will still be there. There will be some place that I can go and, you know, serve some salmon or bring some burgers. Hey, you can always go back and pursue that psychology business too, man. I mean, well, that's we'll still going to be around as well. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so we get to 2728, making good money, but, but having that moment of like, all right, it's not really the passion restaurant will be here. From what I understand from having conversations with your former co-owner, colleague, longtime good friend, Dan Stupp and others around Sorry. the industry. Yep. You were just a dude that was, you know, out posting some stuff and wanted to write about this sport. And he was like, interested. Can you give me the like better version of that? Can you give me more of the detail of how John Morgan gets to what was first UFC junkie then yep. quickly was cease and desisted to <laughs> MMA junkie. You know, some say cease and desist, others friendly suggestion from an right. attorney, you know, however right. you want to phrase it. But yeah, yeah no, it, it's funny. You're pretty spot on. Yeah, I just had that revelation. That like, hey, man, I want to kind of get into this. And um, I was a daily reader of, of, of MMA Weekly. And uh, in the forums, there was a post. It was uh, Gorgeous George, who's obviously still with MMA junkie to this day. And it was just like, hey, we're looking for somebody to help recap interviews from our radio show. It was Tag Radio at the time, right. Trig and Gorgeous George, Frank Trig and Gorgeous George. Uh, we're looking for somebody to, to recap our interviews for UFC Junkie. And I, at the time, I hadn't even heard of the website, but I was like, you know, I was like, well, that's interesting. Like, okay, hold on. Cause I'm still in the restaurant business, I'm still working full time, but that's something I can do like when I get home. And it, you know, I'm working a 12 or 13 hour shift as, as a restaurant manager, and then I come home. And, and, you know, I listen to their interview and, and write up a little recap of the interview for posting on it. So I, I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. You know, and, and it was kind of that. I'm like, look, you have no idea who I am because I wasn't even like an active poster. I was more like right. a, a lurker, lurker. Right. Like I just read right. things. And uh, and so I was like, look, you don't know who I am. And I can't even like give you like a resume because I've been in the restaurant business, but I have a passion for the sport. Um, I, I think I'm decent at writing and, and, you know, I have some background in that. Uh, and I'd love to do it. And uh, they said, you know, they talked to Dan Stuff and, and Dan said, yeah, let's give this guy a shot. And it was just it was free. I mean, it was intern work. Like I was just doing like one piece a day about whatever their interview was. And he would post it on the website. And, and that's how it got started. And then as the website started to grow, um, you know, Dan was looking to bring somebody on part time. And that's that's kind of how the whole thing started. At what point? How how far in were we before you were like, OK, we're going all in on this. Like this is becoming the thing. I'm packing up from Dallas. I'm going to Vegas. This is going to be, now I'm chasing that passion. Now I'm following that passion. So about after me doing that for, I don't know, maybe like six months or something like that of doing the intern work, you know, the, the website was growing and Dan was looking to bring somebody on part-time. And because we had that relationship already, um, you know, the offer was there for me. And it was really wild, man, because, you know, I grew up in Dallas and, uh, you know, through the restaurant business, I started moving to other units of our restaurant, kind of like help them, you know, make yep. some changes and that. So I went from uh, Texas to Oklahoma to Lexington, Kentucky to Dayton, Ohio. And so I was actually in Dayton, Ohio when all this was unfolding, which Dan, uh, longtime right. Cincinnati resident. So right. it's kind of wild because, you know, we started this kind of online relationship, so to speak. And then it was like, well, maybe we need to hire somebody. And, you know, obviously these days it's a lot more common to maybe hire somebody that you haven't ever met in person because there's so much business online. But the fact that we were 45 minutes down the road from each other meant that we could actually get together, have a face-to-face -face conversation and talk about stuff. So, I mean, it was really great the way that worked out. So about six months, um, he offered a part-time job. It wasn't full-time, but it was part-time. And so um, 
part of that was going to be working on the weekends. Well, I was the general manager of a restaurant, um, and our company policy was you had to be there on Friday and Saturday, the busiest the busiest days, right. uh, if you were the general manager. So fortunately for me, my, my managing partner, my regional partner, uh, is still one of my best friends to this day. And I kind of told him my plan, and I was like, hey, here's what I want to do. And he knew how much I love the sport and, and, and kind of what was happening. And so I was like, I've got an idea. How about you let me demote myself, promote my assistant general manager over me, so that guy can be in the restaurant on the weekends. And I'll still be around the rest of the week to make sure all the numbers are right, all the systems are in place. So it's like, I'm not really going to be the general manager, but I will be. And, and we'll just do that for structure. And unfortunately, Mark, my buddy, was like, you know what? Uh, go for it. And uh, so we did that. It was awesome that he allowed me that opportunity. And that was probably another six to eight months of, of that structure before Dan was like, okay, um, we're, we're ready to do uh, full-time. You know, do you want to come on board full-time? And it wasn't Near the money I was making as uh, a, a general manager, obviously it was you know full time, but uh, you know what those 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 journalism uh, salaries are. But I just knew I wanted to do it. I was like, I got to take a shot. Like I said, I, I know the restaurant business will be here. I'm going to leave this company on good terms. Uh, so if I need to come back, I can. Um, and that was uh, you know like 2008 at that point. And at the same time, uh, my lease was ending in the apartment that I was on. I'm like you know what, I don't. I moved here to Dayton, Ohio. Uh, for right, business for this gig yeah i don't need to stay in dayton ohio and i'm like i can go so where do i want to go and i was like well, i could go back home to dallas and i'm like or i could go to vegas i could go be in the heart of it. if i'm gonna do this full time why don't i just go to las vegas be in the heart of it and and so i uh, moved out here in 2008 and um you know just kind of really put it put the chase in in full gear sort of been there ever since i say sort of because <laughs> you're home what like two three days a week maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. For, that's true. For like Been in a lot of other now. places yeah. along as well. Yeah. <laughs> that's the that's the mailing address. <laughs> Fair point. When you got out there and when you decided to make that move, did you set a timeline? Did you set like goals and meters for yourself of like, look, if this isn't if this isn't being what I want it to be, if if we're not moving forward, if I'm not having success, if the money ain't coming then I got to go back and do this thing? Or was it just, we're going to ride this and see where it goes? Yeah, I mean, as far as living in Vegas, I did put a one-year time frame on that because I'd been to Vegas a couple times at that point. But as I tell a lot of people, you know, and you've made the Vegas trip, man. It's it's after a couple of days, you're like, dude, get me out of here, man. And I was I was the same guy. You know, you go on the strip and you're like, oh, this is cool. Wow, that's beautiful. Check out that. That's amazing. And after a couple of days, you're like, please just get me back to my house. And I was the same way. So I gave myself a year to see even if I like living in Las Vegas. But once you get off the strip and you see what a cool town it is outside of it, then I was like, yeah. Right. So one year was the time on there. As far as the career itself, no, it was just like, let's just ride this and see where it goes, man. Let's let's see how this progresses. And fortunately, it started progressing pretty quickly, man, because you think about that era of 2008, man, right. that's when the, you know, the schedule really – that's it, man. The schedule really starts ramping up. Everything gets busy. Um, that leads into a, a 2011 sale to Gannett and USA Today. So fortunately, I never really had to go back and readdress it of like, hey, is this working or not? You mentioned the the sale to Gannett. You were a part owner, owner at some point along the way of MMA Junkie. We don't have to get into the financials and things like that. But what's it like being part of a, essentially a startup from pretty early days to having the people that run USA Today coming in, in and being like, hey, guys, we'd like to give you this bushel of cash for this thing you created. 
pretty wild, man. It's it's a pretty good feeling, you know. It, it very much, you know, makes you feel like, oh, we were doing something right. Like right. all the stuff that we were building along the way, we were moving in the right direction. Everything to have a major media company like that believe in you and say that, man, you're doing such a good job that you know we not only want to work with you, we want to acquire you and have you as part of our portfolio and brand. Um, it was pretty cool, man. It was pretty gratifying to see, and I know, um, you know, for the for the original owners, it, it was very nice, and and you know, see. Dan, of course, you know, stuck around and stayed on. The other two walked away, but um, but it was pretty cool, you know what I mean, to see that, oh, okay, this thing that we that we built from nothing. I mean, those three guys started, and I was the first guy they brought on. Um, and to see that, you know, now you're in a, a boardroom, you know, signing legal paperwork with some decent financial terms of it uh, was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. You were there for more or less 15 years, if I if I have the timeline right. right. Some yeah. different changes, some people in and out. Eventually, Dan leaves, moves on to other things. But 15 years at a spot in this business, in any business really, but in this business is rare. What's it like to have, to have just stayed in one place and become such a foundational fixture piece that people go, MMA junkie, that's John Morgan. I know what I'm going to get from that dude at this spot every single day proud of it man really really proud of it man i i it was cool because you're right it is a rarity not and it's not that i set out to do it that way but i you know i am kind of a loyal dude and and it was kind of cool to be a part of it and, and truth be told i never thought i'd be anywhere else man I, I wanted to be like 75 80 years old sitting there you know cage side you know and still repping mma junkie and, and things just changed that, that that had to change um but it's it was cool to be a part and again just building something to to build something from a page that was getting a couple views a day to you know a powerhouse and 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 to just be recognized and respected within the industry as a brand and to know that we are a big part of doing that um it, it feels really nice about it because you don't feel like just a part of a machine or whatever you know what i mean you feel like you really helped accomplish something and um you know it was it, leaving was not the easiest thing to do and not the easiest decision to make but it was actually my mom of all people it's just she's like you know look man don't be sad don't be upset be be proud of what you built and i was like you're so right man i'm so proud of what we built and and uh, you know what it became and, and listen what it still is we don't need to get into the the details of leaving and all of that stuff but the process of it how long were you thinking about it how did it come about as you said a difficult thing and i can only imagine as somebody that is bounced around from place to place been asked to leave a couple of spots <laughs> left on my own a couple of times i know that even then it's challenging like everything was severe for instance most recent spot completely amicable was just on a show with sean last week still talk to those guys every day but even that after six months is like oh man i'm not on severe anymore 15 years in all right i'm no longer mma junkie at john at mma junk mma junkie john what's it like it was hard it was hard because it was a big part of of who i was it was a big part of my identity and it was you know kind of a several months long uh discussion you know internally with myself and with my family as well and i will say man when i when i ultimately made the the, the decision i think this is what i'm going to do and it was scary right because even when, when i left the restaurant business right like i was just starting a relationship with my wife um, and I, I told her, I was like, look, I'm, I'm going to do this crazy thing. Um, and I know we just kind of started, you know, getting together. If you don't want to journey, take this journey with me. Like, I <laughs> right. do not blame you. I one get bit. it 100% if you're getting out here. Yeah, I was like, no hard feelings. Like, we can have that amicable split. We can stay friends. You know what I mean? Um, and she's like, no, nah, let's do it. Let's see what happens. And so when I was ready to make it, I always said, though, but the thing is, at that time when I left the restaurant business, 
I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have a kid. Right. And I've, and I've always said, there's no way I could ever do that again. And I kind of ended up doing that again. And when I, when I decided to leave, man, I, my wife, man, she, she was like, look, uh, here's the thing. I know how hard you work and I trust you. And I know you'll, I know you'll find a way to make this work. So if this is what's going to make you most happy, like I support you and that having that support of a, a, of a spouse like that, man, meant everything in the world but it was several months long discussion and, and like i said we don't have to get into all the details but bottom line is you know things do change you know when you, when you sell to a company and you give up ownership of it um it, you know in the beginning it is nice you know it's like hey we love what you guys are doing right. we're gonna have you on because we want you just keep doing that man and it'll be awesome you know and then and they did for about 10 years you know and then <laughs> uh you know the departure of, of dan was a tough one man that was a real difficult one for me um, and, uh, for multiple reasons. And, and then I got past that and then it became, you know, some things that I was trying to do within my, my own career, including, you know, commentary with CFSC and, and chasing some of that passion. And that became a challenge, you know, and it, it got to a point where I, where I was looking at the company and saying, hold on, first of all, a lot of people that I loved aren't here anymore. So it's right. not really the same company. And second of all, it's like, I've given you, you know, and, and granted it was only like 12 years or 10 years with Gannett, but overall, like, you know, I've given you 15 years of my life. Yeah, but like, it's still 10 build... years and 12 years is still a lot. Yeah. Let's not go minima. As we said, in this business, it's 10 years, 12 years is a long ass time. And it was like, man, I've given you this and I've helped and I think I've established our company. I think I've done a lot to help build it. And now I'm trying to do some things for myself and you're not there to give back to me. Like, what, what, are, what are we doing here? And when I started to realize that, like, okay, I did everything to help support you and you're not doing anything to help support me and some of these passions that I have what are we doing here? You know what I mean? And so that's why I decided ultimately uh, walk away. But uh, to your uh, original point, man, scary, 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 scary to be like, hold on, man. And, and, and listen, I spoke to some people in the industry that were like, bro, like we don't really care where you work. Like you're John Morgan and we respect your effort and your voice and everything that you've put in and, and we'll continue to do so. But it's hard to have that belief in yourself. You know what I mean? That like, oh, okay, hold on. So, you know, I, I will still be able to do the same work, whether I'm doing it for this company or not. And, and, uh, and then you realize you can, you realize you can. Was the UGM place before you pulled the shoot or was it, we're going to go and then we'll find the next spot. Yeah, it was in place. I'm not All that right. crazy. Okay. <laughs> right, yeah, was, you never know. But I, you know, hey, I, I would, but yeah, I, I, I do have a mortgage and I do have a kid. And so, right. uh, you know, I, I was having some conversation with Kirik and I knew what he was looking for. And I'm like, hey, uh, I, I think this might be the move for me. And, and, and we had those conversations and that's why I said, all right, let's, uh, let's do this. We'll get to the UG, the landscape and, and some different stuff of the industry itself a little later on before we get to some fun stuff. I mentioned off the top, John Morgan, press row, the blue polo for the people that don't know, explain to them why you essentially wear a uniform on Saturdays. <laughs> I do. It's essentially a uniform. Yeah, it's funny, man. I never meant for it to become anything. And then eventually I embraced it to where now it's like an emoji on my Twitter account and that sort of thing. But it, it was as simple as uh, my, my kid was like a, a year old and I was at a USC event. And I just happened to be wearing a blue shirt. Like it was just a blue shirt that I had. But as I was there during the middle of it, my wife sent me a text of my son at the TV. And I guess she'd put it on pause and showed it. And he was touching the TV um where, where i was and i you know obviously that you know kid man it moved me i'm like <laughs> i right right then i was like i'm gonna wear a blue shirt to every event so when daddy's not home when he's away like if he's like where's dad you can turn the tv on and my kid will be able to quickly find me cage side and and, and see that blue shirt so it's really just something for me and my son 
Um, and I never thought anybody would notice. And then now <laughs> it's funny because I go back and I watch like highlights. I'm like, well, yeah, you're right there, right there. You know, it's it's immediate. So people started to notice, and then it just kind of started to embrace it and have a little fun. But yeah, ultimately it, it started just uh, because my son was touching a TV, and I just happened to be a blue. If I'd been wearing a black shirt, maybe I'd be a black shirt guy. If I'd been wearing a red shirt, maybe I'd been a red shirt guy. A decade later, is there any conversation with him where he's like, "Dad, enough with the blue shirts." <laughs> Like no, you can yeah, change yeah, it up. Maybe, I know where you are. I know what you look like now. I can just pick maybe, you out on the line. Like maybe we should. Like I thought about that. I'm like, you know, like all these shows are at the apex. Like he doesn't have to find me. He just saw me like two hours ago, and he'll right. see me tonight. You know what I mean? Right. Like maybe, I, maybe I don't need to. But yeah, now it's just the uniform. All right. So we'll get into some some easier stuff, some non-fight stuff first. Obviously, coming up in the restaurant business, you mentioned working in the kitchen, doing the different gigs, working in, working in the kitchen means you got to know how to burn a little bit. So what are the go-tos that John Morgan makes for friends, for family? What's the, you're coming over to my place. You're bringing some frosty beverages. Here you go. We're grilling out, bro. We're doing some steaks. You know what I mean? If you're, if you're coming over, we're, we're going to get, you know, we're going to go down and get some prime ribeye, you know, season it nice and easy. You don't want to go over. You don't even have to marinate. Just a little, just a little salt and pepper, a little olive oil on there. We're doing some steaks, probably doing some potatoes, you know, maybe a little asparagus, something like that. But yeah, steaks, man. I love, you know, being from being a Texas boy, I love good Texas barbecue. I've never really gotten into like the uh, smoking for 20 hours type thing. I never did that side of it. But uh, yeah, I, I love being in, in, in the kitchen. To be honest with you, uh, I, my, my wife is starting to cook more these days, but I've always been kind of the primary uh, food preparation guy. Fair enough. You are someone that during my travels to Las Vegas, I have always leaned on of like, Hey man, where do I need to go? What's, what's the spot I got to get to? You were the man that hipped me to Ellis Island, which oh. remains every time I turn up, I got to go at least once to get Classic. some cheap barbecue, real cheap beer, good food, great spot off the strip. What are some other spots that people need to check out for, for like day two when they're done being on the strip, as you mentioned, cause it is, if you haven't been to Vegas, or if you've been to Vegas, you know, after a couple of days, it's like, I need something different. So where, where are we heading? Where are we sending people? I mean, it's incredible, right? Cause there are so many phenomenal, like, you know, high end steakhouses and stuff like down the strip. But once you, once you get off, uh, first of all, uh, a family tradition, we go to hot and juicy crawfish. I mean, if you want a little of crawfish boil, some crab, uh, they got a couple of those. That's actually a chain, but the, the original one here is really nice. I go, uh, I go downtown to, uh, to Fremont street and I hit up pizza rock down there. They got like all these different kind of, uh, all the different kind of pizzas you could possibly want in a really cool environment, you know? So we're hitting up that, uh, we're, we're definitely go to Dino's for the dive bar. We're going to hit up the, uh, the, 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 like $2 PBRs, man. We're, we're definitely, you'll get a little karaoke in there. We might not have to partake, but we're going to enjoy that. We're going to hit the dive bar. Uh, and get off it. I love to get off the street. I love to get down to Fremont Street. I love taking people down to Fremont Street. If you're doing Vegas, um, you know, you're, you're going to want to see the strip, but then then you want to go see the real people, man. Then you want to go see the real. Is it a little sketchy? Yeah, it's a little sketchy, but I like a little bit of sketch. A little bit of sketchy is important. Yeah. And like this, as you said, the strip is everybody that's come to town. Fremont Street and, and other places are everybody that lives here and knows. No disrespect to the places on the strip, the better places to go. I'm telling you. Just saying that's, it. I'm not from there. It. I'm just saying. I'm saying it so you don't have to. But you know. You know. So you mentioned $2 PBRs. You and I have shared some frosty beverages at time. I know that there are go-tos in terms of like, listen, we're having a bunch. So this is where we're keeping it price, price smart. But if you are sitting down to have one beer, one nice, cold, frosty beverage, 
What's the pick? I mean, if it's a frosty beverage and I'm only having one, I'm going to have the strongest one you got because I will go, I'll go light to dark, any flavor. So give me like a Belgian triple and like, you know, okay. something like that. I'm going to go for the biggest one you got, you know, the, the, the highest content that you got. Uh, but yeah, you know, again, I'll, I'll do a PBR. I'll do a, I'll do an IPA. I'll do a sour. I, I, to be honest, man, I'm, I, I'll, I'll do a little bit of anything to be honest with you when it comes to frosty beverages. All right. Are we having a frosty beverage next week? Are you coming to Vancouver? I will. I will. So we shall. Okay. We absolutely we're gonna, shall. We're going to get a frosty beverage. Started out in Dallas. What are the Dallas stops? What are the spots people got to check if they're in the Dallas Fort Worth area? Man, Dallas Fort Worth is fun. I always say it's tough. You know, as far as like there's, you know, landmarks or historic things you need to see, there's not. But in terms of, I mean, you know, obviously the JFK stuff, I mean, that's not exactly the most, you know, fun day to have or whatever. So there's not a lot of that stuff. But, as far as like just places to go hang out and and restaurants that's sort of like the barbecue the pecan lodge downtown is, is amazing uh the bar area on, on the lower greenville area is, is a fun place to go with a little bit of sketch dialed in there as well steakhouse is there mexican food i mean it's 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 solid dallas, dallas is a good food spot for sure this career has taken you to every continent save for two if i'm correct no africa correct. no no antarctica yet though i know if you get to Africa, you are then going to get <laughs> to Antarctica. That is Done true. Prep. That is true. What are the favorite locales, the favorite spots you've been to, the coolest stopovers, whatever it is along all of these journeys? I can't imagine how many air miles you have piled up. Yeah, we're, we're, we're in the two million air mile range. So we've gotten a lot of them over the years. Uh, Australia is always fun just because the people are so cool, man um obviously a, a journey to get down there but the people are awesome and as far as ufc is 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 discussed i mean they're hammered at like 9 30 in the morning on a sunday to watch it like and i, I can respect that like when you're hammered at 9 30 a.m like i i respect the commitment to that so that's always fun uh new zealand was amazing i did you talk about layovers i had a layover in fiji one time on the way i was like i had an eight hour layover i was like i, I will take this connection every single time uh, so that was amazing. I think one of my favorites is, is uh, that I always refer back to is Moscow, like being there in Red Square. I always thought was super cool. Like growing up, as you said, we're kind of the same age and, you know, just the Cold War and all that. It didn't feel right. like you were as an American were supposed to be in Red Square. You know what I mean? Right. So walking around at night there is cool. Obviously, Europe is amazing just because there's so many different cultures in a small space. You know, you can go from from one place quickly to another. Uh, Brazil did Brazil 29 times. And I love Rio de Janeiro, man, sitting on the beach there, plastic chair, dollar beers, breeze coming in over the ocean. I mean, that's a cool spot to be. So, uh, fortunate, fortunate. Hopefully, I get to knock off Africa and Antarctica at some point. Given all of these travels, I would imagine there are like travel must haves. So, what are the go to travel essentials for John Morgan? I'm pretty. I'm pretty easy to be honest with you. The, the main travel essential is that uh, you do not have a bag to check. You're like it, you, if you are a veteran traveler, you are only carrying on travel. Okay, you do not want to check a bag. It slows you down once you get to the airport. Uh, it gives you an opportunity to get lost. If you need to take a standby flight, you're not. You can't necessarily do it because you can't get lost. So first of all, you got to make sure that everything you're having is packed up uh, inside that carry-on uh, baggage. Now. Uh, my gear my gear pack over the years has expanded dramatically in terms of like you know audio equipment and headphones and all the other stuff so that right. gets a little bit complicated but overall i'm easy man overall i'm easy i'm just bringing i i got some uh some bose quiet comfort headphones so i can kind of 
drift off into my own world. I can sleep on a plane, which is great, man. A lot of people I know can't sleep on a plane. I don't know what my life would be if I couldn't sleep on a plane. That's where I get caught up. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty easy. I'm pretty easy. I'm not a big, you know, reader on a plane or anything. Like that. I'm more like a get a pre-fight for Aussie beverage and fall asleep. Fall asleep. That's see, that sounds pretty good. I wish I could just zonk right out. I'm one of those. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna need to try. Henner Gracie's got the new like sleep contraption coming out. <laughs> Henner always with the always with the the inventions. It's the crazy. upgrade for everything. Might have to try it out. Keep you upright. Get you sleeping. Good times. We'll re-rack this, get moving into the back half of it. It's a conversation with John Morgan of the Underground East Spencer Kite here on Keyboard Kimura. You are now at the UG. It is, as you said in previous interviews, pretty solid URL to have. Mixedmartialarts.com. <laughs> Not bad. It's been just about a year now. What's the first year been like? It's been good. It's been a reminder of what it's like to be a small company again. You know, it's kind of what we did in the beginning with MMA Junkie, where it's like we got to a point where we were like, hey, are we going to continue to do this on our own or are we going to partner with somebody? And that's what kind of led to the Silicon because you need some IT assistance. You need some ad sales assistance. You need all those things. So, you know, it's it's been a reminder of what those days were like. and It all feels very, very familiar in those ways. But the freedom of it has been amazing. You know, I work most closely with Carrick and obviously – um, you know, a pioneer in the industry in his own right, of course, and and uh, his support and uh, his you know blessing to go do anything I want in terms of chasing the commentary opportunities and, and doing those things has been tremendous. So, uh, you know, the, the tech has been a little bit slower than I'd like to develop along the way, but that's that's the headaches and the hassles that come along with it. We're, and we're making those baby steps and moving in the right direction. So I'm happy where we've gotten. I wish we could have done it a lot faster and I wish we get to where we want to go a lot faster. But these are the growing pains and the patience that it takes. So uh, I'm looking forward to what, you know, the next year plus will bring. You mentioned where you want to go. What are, not to give it all away, not to tell everybody like, here's the five-year plan, but what are the steps? It is still as if I, if I know correctly, an operation of you and like two other people with you. <laughs> and that's about it, which I imagine I would assume as much as I know you like working and, and the hustle is real you probably like to bring one or two people on to help you out a little bit. Definitely, definitely. And, and just setting up that infrastructure, even, you know, like there's been so many people along the way that, that they're like want to volunteer to like, I'd love to intern, like I'd love to work and I'd love to give you that support. And honestly, man, I'd love to do that because I love to kind of like help uh, educate and, and share just my history. Not that I sit here and say, well, I know everything and let me impart it right. on you. But I can I can save you some time and some of the headaches and the hassle because I've been through them all and I can tell you what my experience is and questions you may have and how to do that. So I'd love to do that. But my biggest thing is having the infrastructure in place that those people that that we you know do something like that with aren't just getting used basically. You know what I mean? That I'm giving back to somebody in, in a meaningful way. So that is something I'd like to do is to have some people on at least a part time role and like I said, use it as an, an intern possibility and some things like that. Uh, so yeah, there is a general direction. I mean, obviously there's some cool things. The forum is, uh, man, it's, it's amazing, but getting everything just kind of modernized and getting everything, you know, up to date, you know, it's, it's, it's a legacy site, but it didn't necessarily have like all the interagents along the way where it was updated and things were brought up to right. a technically current space. And so that's what we're really trying to do is bring things up to a technologically current space, but doing so in a financially responsible way. You know, I told Kirk that from the beginning, I was like, look, I appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Let me give you a little bit of the general direction of how we get here. 
And I think we can do it. You know, you can pour money on it, but I just hate to do that, man. I, you, you know what the margins are like in this in this industry. And so it's like, I don't want you to be like dramatically out of pocket to do that. So let's do this financially responsible, which means a little bit of a slower meandering way. But it's also um, an industry that I don't, you know, I'm not trying to just come in and, and turn flames and dump it and move on to something else. Like this is what I want to keep doing. So we have the ability right. to be patient. Right. The landscape of MMA media has certainly shifted in the 15 years you and I have been in here. What have been, to your opinion, the biggest positive changes and then maybe the most detrimental negative shifts over the years? I think the positive um, is is really like how uh, forward and technologically savvy the people in this industry are, man. I think part of it maybe because, you know, the sport did kind of live on the internet. So I feel like the people that are involved in it. And, and maybe it's just the demographics in terms of the age group and that sort of thing. But man, I feel like this industry has always been kind of pushing the envelope, the media people and what they can do. And yeah, I mean, as, as I always like to joke, you know, when I got into this, I'm like, I want to be a sports writer. You know, it's like now, like I don't write like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's no, yeah, you're doing this. You know what I mean? Like I remember, you know, uh, you know, Dan and I at MMA Junkie were kind of hesitant to get into the video side because we wanted to do it right, number one. But we were like, you know, I don't know. That's not really our core strength. And right. We want to get somebody that knows what they're doing. And now the majority of my day is, is spent video <laughs> editing and audio editing and, and doing those things. So, But I think it's cool. So I, I do think that's a positive and seeing that everybody's kind of evolving with it. I mean, I got my man Kevin Ioli doing IG Lives and stuff. <laughs> I mean, you know, that speaks volumes of embracing right. the technologically savvy. That's good. You know, I, I guess the negative I'd say is, and, and I guess it's just natural, man, is I just feel like so much of media these days is just, um, first of all, uh, centered completely around trash talk and, and completely around, which is fun. We all like rivalries. We all like feuds. You know what I mean? Um, but, you know, so much of it is also just like, what did so-and-so post on Twitter today? What did so-and-so post on Instagram? It's like, first of all, are you even 100% sure that that person posted that and not their social media guy? You know what I mean? Because like, right. If so, we're giving a quote that isn't even really a quote from a guy. Like, I guess it's on his account, so he's responsible he's, for it. He's but got, he or she has to own it. but Got to own it at that point. But it's like, do you really? So I, I miss, and I get it, man. It is the way things move. Like, I have an 11-year-old son, and uh, I see it, man. Like, the attention span of kids is nothing. Like, the TikTok generation, it's a real thing. But I just feel like there's so much less storytelling than there used to be and, and i wish there was more of that and it's one thing that i've always appreciated about you because i think you continue um to do a good job of it um but i also know you know what a challenge that can be and and you know how time consuming it is and how maybe underappreciated it is i mean obviously I, I have to worry about it less these days but you know with like mma junkie i mean you know we had corporate bosses that we had to answer to in terms of you know right. page views and that sort of thing and so it was like well i can tell this really compelling story <laughs> about this undercard fighter that I think people are really going to be uh, blown away by. Or I can post a picture of what Conor McGregor had for breakfast today and which one's going to get the page views. And so you kind of had to, you know, I always said you kind of had to do the things that you had to do so that you could then in turn do the things you want to do. Um, but there's only so much time in the day, right? It, it's, it's a tough balance. So I do kind of hate that shift of media, but I don't think it's just MMA media in general. You know, I think it's just kind of the direction of media overall. Yeah, I certainly agree with that last part. And and for me, like you're spot on. Like the the most fulfilling things I've done have probably gotten the least page views. It's <laughs> crazy. And the thing, and like I've been fortunate. I don't have anybody, haven't had in many spots anybody that's like, look, man, we just gotta go page views. I ran a blog at a newspaper website 
for nine years. And at no point did the editors come to me and be like, Hey, we need more GSP stories. We need more Conor McGregor stories. Cause those really drive traffic. There were always some, you always get them out there when they're in the, when they're in the space, when they're in the, in the eye, but I was always fortunate to go the, just do what you want to do. But I agree. It's, it's a weird spot. It's frustrating, right? Because I mean, anybody that's doing this properly will tell you like the way that you should be doing things is you should go in and you should go into Google trends and you could see what's clicking the best. And you should write a story based around that because that's, what's going to get you in the algorithm. I'm just like, that's not to me what it should be. Like, what is what is most newsworthy or what is most ha- not what's what, what's most trend worthy or what's most likely to get us in the algorithm and it sucks because it is a business and so i get it like i don't i don't i'm not hating on anybody that does it that way that's how you generate money but that's not why i wanted to do it and that's not what I, i'm passionate about doing well and so for me this feels like a good good opportunity to have this discussion with someone else in the space it's working at a large site cuz i'm usually on here on the on the podcast jumping on my soapbox and screaming and yelling about things and then i generally don't put them out because i don't want to just sound like an angry (laughs) bastard all the time but it feels to me like it's just this self-perpetuating cycle right we get into the situation where so much of the criticism is well we don't know these people we're not introduced to more of these people we only hear about them once they reach a certain point and my argument is always well you're you're going to the wrong sources or you're not looking hard enough, whether it's UFC.com, you guys at the UG have a, have a business relationship with UFC.com. You guys put our stuff out. Appreciate that. Although I'm a jerk about it sometimes (laughs) I get like this. I get like this. I, I at least own that I'm an asshole half of the time, (laughs) but it just feels like all the criticisms or some of the criticisms are things that can be defeated if we shift a little bit of our perception and the way we're doing things like no disrespect to any site that is doing the stuff you mentioned or putting out the photographs of so-and-so throughout the years, get that traffic. I understand business overlords dictate certain things, but it also means you're contributing to all of these athletes that you and others are saying are unknown being unknown. Am I off base? Am I on point? Nope. Somewhere in between? On. You're absolutely on point. You know what I mean? And it's just it's just such a tough balance to, to stretch, you know, to, to reach because you're absolutely right. I mean, there are, you know, you took you look at like the major publications. I mean, the, the salaries that they have on hand and the operational costs that they have on hand are significant and, and nobody's in business to make money. And, and so, you know, if, if media was this perfect thing where it didn't have profits at the center of it, like we could do it a lot different, but it does. It's a business like anything else. And so you got to drive those page views, you know, and so you can't fault anybody for those strategies. It's just I wish there was that balance because I think yeah. it just it goes so over that. Where it's like, you know, you have these quarterly meetings with the corporate overlords and it's I, I don't see a whole lot. And, and listen, to Gannett's credit, I, I will say they did a lot of like trying to highlight beautiful stories, trying to highlight meaningful impacts right. internally. But at the end of the day, your most direct bosses are looking at, hey, man, you know what our page views were last year? You know what they are this year? You know what the click through rate is? Why are we this way? Why, you know, do you know what the budget was for what we were supposed to be at? It's, it's frustrating, right? So you get it. But you're 100 percent right. You know, it's. It's, you know, I, I got to a point, especially when I'm not doing as much writing anymore, but when I was doing more, like I got to a point where it's like, 
no offense, but like how many GSP stories have I written? You know what I mean? How many Anderson Silva stories have I written? Then there's so many amazing stories. Like, you know, here's this, this guy that just made his way in, you know, how about the, the, you know, it was one that was interesting, not recently, the the Thimbo Garimbo story where he's like tweets out his bank account that he had $7 left. And then that opens a whole nother can of worms where people like, that's not a beautiful story. That's a horrible story. He's a professional athlete. He should be rich. And I see the beauty in it where it's like, man, like, you know, Think about what he risked and think about what he was willing to do and to come to this. You know, I, I just talked to Dan Ige earlier today, and he was so open and honest um, about the mental challenges of the, of the losing streak that he was on and how difficult it was to just keep going and to keep believing in yourself when all the criticism is out there. So you're absolutely right, man. I think there's way – there's so many more amazing stories. I remember early on with Dan Stupp, we were kind of talking about the vision – of the site and where we go. And I was like, look, man, I want to get to a point where if there's a 12 fight card, we have 24 pre-fight interviews because we talk to every single person on the card. And and because I believe that each one of these people has an interesting story. Like this is not an easy life. This is not a normal job. Like everybody's got something and the commitment that it takes to be here is unbelievable. And that's where I want to be. And, you know, we did our best and then, you know, then Conor McGregor has something for breakfast that you got to, that you got, (laughs) that you got to post. Is there a way in your estimation, like you're, you're at the four of a, of a new site again, or, or a new place for you in terms of right. work where you're, you're laying that track of, of what we're going to do. Is there a way to find that balance? Is there a way to kind of cover both ends, ends of things? I hope so. Um, I, I do. I mean, fortunately, I'm in a place now where, you know, again, we are a business and we're not trying to lose money, but we're, we're, we don't have a massive overhead that we've got to take care of. And, and that, you know, so, so we've got to worry about that on a daily basis. So I, I think you can. Number one, it just involves the, the people that are telling the stories to be passionate about wanting to tell those stories because you're not going to get the reward necessarily of this is the most high profile piece I've ever written. But when you can be proud of the work that you put in and when, and when you can, again, when you can help tell a story um, and help shine a light, help, you know, look, one of my favorite things to do now is commentary, not only because I just enjoy putting on a headset and talking about fights, but I enjoy, you know, meeting these athletes that are in their amateur career that are just starting out. Like it, it is so fun to me. Um, I, Timothy Kwamba is a guy that's going to fight on Dana White's contender series. I was just talking to Dewey Cooper about him earlier. Um, I, I called his fights as an amateur and tough enough. I called a couple of his fights in CFSC as a pro, and now I'm going to get to see him at the apex fighting for a contract to try to get in the UFC. Like I love getting to see people chase that passion and have those ways up. So I think a big part of finding that balance is, is having people that are passionate enough to want to do it and to understand, um, you know, that, that, that there is a balance and need for it. The other thing too, is I, I hope that the media moving forward, um, as it continues to grow and get big in the MMA space, can uh, embrace regionalization a little bit more. You know what I mean? And, and being because if everybody's just trying to cover the main event of the UFC, like we're all telling the same story, like everybody's writing the same piece. But if it's like you know, I want to be the the preeminent Brazilian media source, or I want to be the preeminent uh, you know South America as a whole, and just just regionalizing like that, I'm, I'm anxious to see if if there's more of that. I'm anxious to see. Um, how this works with the PFL, you know, they're talking about bringing out all these regional leagues. They've already done it with Europe and, you know, prime time uh, in these different markets. I'm anxious to see how that works. Um, so, you know, I, I hope that that'll help. Cause again, I just, I believe that the sport man to do this takes incredible sacrifice and incredibly unique individuals. And I hope more of their stories can get told. I agree a hundred percent. And, and it's funny. I, I very recently talked about like that, that sort of segmentation of like, 
if everybody's trying to do everything, we're all just cover. We all just end up covering the same six, eight, five, ten people and yep. ten shows, and we're saying the same. And no, no knock on the athletes either, but like fight week, they're telling us all the same stuff. We're not coming with unless you're getting something that's, you know, you get a moment with somebody where they're just like, ah, I'm honest or I'm I'm raw or you have that one question. We're all getting the same quotes. It's, it's all the same thing. Listen, I know you've been in the room when athletes are doing the the phone rounds, and it is incredible because you're only hearing one side of the conversation, but you're like, this dude is literally doing the same interview 10 times right. in a row, like the exact same thing. And you're right. The, the responses get – I mean, it's not that they're canned responses. It's just like that's the answer to the question. You're asking the same right. thing. It's just so you hear the same thing over and over. We've had a lot of talk recently and as some stuff has happened within the space about access journalism which is always the thing that makes me sort of like bristle a little bit it's one of the things that i recorded an angry podcast about and then threw it in the bin because it sounded like an angry ass <laughs> but my my stance on it or my position on it has always been like access is is required it's a thing that happens in every sport it happens really in every form of journalism like the people that are white house correspondents have access. It is a integral piece of this. Now I understand the criticism of you've got to maintain lines, but as somebody that has a great deal of access and has for a number of years, how do you strike that balance between, I got to do the things that I got to do. I've got to ask the questions that need to be asked, but I'm going to be here again in two weeks. And if they decide that I'm not ever getting a microphone or no one's ever speaking to me again, that kills my career, not just my opportunity this week. So how do you find that and navigate that balance? Yeah, man, it's such an interesting topic because you're right. Because like some of the things that I think people forget is like, you, you know, what does help is that, you know, there's people that are doing some stuff that maybe the UFC or maybe Dana White doesn't like. And they're like, well, we couldn't get a comment. Well, I can get a comment. So I could actually <laughs> get, you know, I, you're right. You know, it's, maybe I've had it's this kind of helpful. Yeah, it's like maybe I've had to strike a balance, but guess what? All those you know answers that you didn't like that you said were terrible answers, somebody had to ask the question. If you can't even get in the door, there is some value to having that access and at least having the conversation. And one of the things that, that I've always stressed to people is that, especially working, because let's, let's be honest, in the end of the day, we're talking about the USC and Dana White. Like nobody's talking about, man, that, that's Scott Coker. He just throws people out of Bellator. Like, you know, that's what we're talking about. And I can tell you that, you know, both USC PR teams, both Dana White, I mean, to, to a man, to a woman, they've never said, do not ask about this, don't ask about that, don't do this, whatever. Now, do I believe that there's a time and a place for everything? I absolutely believe there's a time and a place for everything. Not, not only just because that person is going to appreciate it, but they're going to give you better answers. If you want to talk in a, about a complex topic or a potentially controversial topic, doing it at a press conference when Dana can barely hear you anyway because he's half deaf and I'm not knocking on him and he's admitted right. that, you know, he just, you know, it's not going to get the best and then you're going to have the crowd booing and it's going to be, and, you, and listen, it's not the best time or place to get, you know, getting a meeting or getting a phone call or getting a private scrum is a better place to do that. So I think that's one of the big things, uh, you know, I know that, you know, during my time with Gannett, um, you know, obviously we had an advertising relationship with the UFC, but, you know, and, and I know there was a famous, tweet that dana sent out years and years ago that gets referenced uh, many a time um they never told us anything about what we were supposed to write and what we weren't i mean you know dan stuff man you know he's not that guy he like <laughs> he, he is, is not he is not that guy 
you go go try and talk to Dan Stubb about, hey, well, the UFC suggests that they'd appreciate for you to write about this. this. It never happened. It just never happened. And I don't know how to be any more clear and transparent about that. So a lot of the things that are out there, unfortunately, I just think aren't true. There's assumptions that are made. There's things that are said. Like, for instance, you know, look, you know, fighter pay is, is, a, is a big discussion, right? Why don't you ask more about fighter pay? Do you know how many times in my 15 years I've asked about fighter pay and had conversations? Like, should I just keep asking the same question over and over because I'm going to get the same answer I've always had? No. So, you know, I think there's some, unfortunately, some misinformation out there and some assumptions. Do I believe that, you know, there are certain people that do a much better job of investigative and, and forceful type work? Absolutely, they do. But listen, I think we all play different roles. I think you said a spot as well. It's like, not everybody can do the same job. There's so much of this job that, that, that needs to be done. And, and not all of us are, you know, necessarily going to handle it that way. But I think sometimes there's a little bit of a, an overarching misinformation about what can and can't be done within the framework of, of the UFC. Yeah, there's there's certainly space for everybody. There's lanes that can be followed and, and paths that people can can go down that creates opportunity where you don't need that access, where you don't need to talk to anybody with the promotions, any of the athletes. Absolutely. For people like you and I, we need to have that access. It again, mortgages, amongst other things. I, and I've always, and listen, and, I've always and wanted to create content around the fighters themselves. You know what I mean? More so than the business. Like to be honest, if I'm just being honest with you, the business side of the like, I don't care how many pay per views the UFC does. Don't care. Not my business. Not my job. I don't care. You know what are the television ratings telling you about? I don't care. I, I don't care. What I care about is the athletes in the sport, and, and I love being a part of helping to tell their stories and and helping to document their lives. I always look. I mean, to me, it's got it's kind of wild. But each fight week, man, that's a chapter in somebody's life, man. You know what I mean? The, the one that they're always going to remember, and, and and I enjoy getting a part of, of being a help of, of of documenting that. Not that I didn't know this about you before, but this is heartening for me. I literally. 10 things went out today. We are taping this on Thursday, June 1st. 10 things for UFC Vegas 74 went out today. Item number one is that I like Spencer cards, which are cards like this weekend's card. So when you're watching this, folks at home, it will be last weekend's card where we have ranked fighters in the main event and a couple more throughout the card, but just a bunch of fights because I said that exact same thing you just said. This is a huge moment for so many of these athletes and I'm going to respect that honor that, appreciate that. And like you, I don't want to get bogged down in the business and the same arguments and the same fights and the same things that so many people are worried about. I like watching fights. I started paying attention to this because I liked watching fights and was like, bet you I could write about this stuff. I'd like to talk <laughs> to some of these folks. And guess what? Now someone pays me to sit and watch fights on Saturday. It's amazing. Why right? do I want to be angry? Why do yeah. I want to invest my time and well-being into things that are going to make me angry? And they make me angry. I'm with everybody. Fighter pay sucks. It needs to be more. Do I want to spend all of my days being angry? No. I want to enjoy not. some stuff <laughs> and tell some cool stories and have the odd fighter reach out and be like, hey, thank you. Because those are the things that mean something to me far more than the Twitter masses being like, Hey, you asked the right question. I agree. I agree. It's so funny. The, the one right now is like the, the criticism of, of the ultimate fighter. And listen, like, I hate, I mean, I hate to be like, like Dana, but it's so true, right? Like don't watch it. You don't have to watch it. If you don't want to, I'm still going to watch it. Like I, I still like it. 
Could they do some things different? Maybe. I like the way they did the tournament format this year with the seeding and how it came out. That was intriguing to me. I love the tension that is obviously going to be there between Conor McGregor and Michael Chandler. I'm still watching on Wednesday night. It's, you know, it's, it's just what I like to do. Uh, I, I don't get it, man. Uh, you, you don't have to watch it. You know, I, I always get hit with the, of course you feel this way because you work for the UFC and whatever, whatever. And yes, I earn money by recapping the ultimate fighter. But I tell you what, all of those things you just said still apply to me because I watch that show and I'm just like, I'm in. I don't care about the drama in the house. I want to see some some people fight. And to me, it it goes back to that introduction. And I know you've talked about this a ton and we'll wrap up here shortly of like, these are the first moments we're seeing a lot of these athletes this season, not necessarily because we got a bunch of people that are from the UF, former UFC athletes back in the show. But like, I got to see Brady Heastand before a lot of people saw him make the walk for the first time. And I learned in season 29 that this kid's got some grit. He's got some sandpaper to him. And if you build some skill down the road, he might be something. And then he got in the octagon and showed me that grit and sandpaper by coming back and winning a couple of fights. I still like this stuff. Those I things still matter to me. They're I, still important. I, I, I love, man, I, I, I love, you know, calling amateur fights for toughen up and seeing people that aren't even professionals yet and being like, whoa, that's going to be amazing. And now, you know, we're seeing guys that are, you know, teenagers that are already look like professional high level fighters because they've been training since they were like eight years old and they're Wild. already polished up and ready to go and I, I love working for cffc and 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 you know i mean i i, I do it because i love it man I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about it and so i get it man like i understand the criticism oh there's too many cards there's too much to keep up i get it like i don't know any baseball fan that watches every single baseball game the whole year long right like you don't have to you don't have to watch the whole card you don't have to watch every card you just have to understand. i think that's what happened what, what has happened is that it, it was like 10 years ago you know, 15 years ago where there were only like eight cards a year. And yeah, like we knew top to bottom, every single fighter on the card, every single fight, they all had implications moving forward. It's not that way anymore. Some things are just going to be a regular season Tuesday game. You know what I mean? It's not going to be the same way. And I think people have to change their understanding of it or, or they do reach these frustrations and they do reach the point where they're like, ah, I can't do it anymore. I think if you change your understanding of it a little bit, it changes your output. You've mentioned calling fights. A couple of times, obviously, something that you do. CFFC, uh, Fight League Atlantic, tough enough. When did you start? What made you want to put that headset on and explore that avenue? Because my brother grew up, went through broadcast journalism school. It is a tough gig. It's not as easy as it looks, ladies and gentlemen, to get out there and be calling action live. What made you want to do it? Who are the people that sort of served as the, the guides for you as you got going down that path? Yeah, you know, it was honestly first started happening when I came out here to Las Vegas and tough enough. The guys out there asked me if I'd want to be a part of it, you know, and, uh, you know, small, uh, you know, amateur events, of course. I mean, the premier amateur organization in the nation. I mean, we had, so, I mean, got to call some Ronda Rousey fights before she went pro, you know, got to call Ryan Couture, Alan Choban. I mean, you know, some names along the way, but, um, you know, just really started doing it with them. And right away, I was like, oh, I like this because because. Number one, you're right. It is talking about the action, and this is my favorite sport. And I enjoy talking about the action, but I also realized it was just another means to help tell a story and to help tell about these athletes. And I think, to me, that's what makes this sport so intriguing, right? The sport itself, like any two people, you know, the whole it's in our DNA and, you know, if there's a fight, you know, on every corner, we're turning to that one. It is true, but it's even, it's even more exciting if you're like, 
did you know that that guy just quit his full-time job and is chasing this? And did you know that that guy right there lost his last three fights? And, man, he's kind of not sure if he's going to keep chasing. It just, it just adds that little bit to it. When I realized, oh, you can kind of help the audience understand not only what's happening on their screen, but also the stakes of what it is. Because when there's a UFC title fight on the line, you know, we understand what the stakes are. There's that big, shiny belt. But you might not understand it when it's, you know, some of these other organizations or these other levels of fight. So, so I really started to enjoy that. Um, did it for several years and then um, uh, had some folks over at Gannett who suggested, uh, you know, that I not do that any for a while. Uh, those people left the company. And so I started getting to do it again. And, and once I once I did it a second time and, um, you know, kind of started that second stint, I was like, I'm going to do this. Like, I enjoyed it so much. And I gave it up because I didn't want to rock the boat and I was loyal to MMA Junkie. Um, but, you know, with, with Dan gone and with some other changes that have been made, uh, some of the even the corporate staff at Gannett had already moved on. Once I started doing it again, I was like, I want to go all in in this. I gave it up one time, and, and I don't want to give it up again. I really enjoy doing this. What is the toughest part of being on the headset and calling live fights? Uh, not knowing when CM Punk's going to bust your balls. Uh, and I, <laughs> you know, no, it's um. Listen, man, I think you know making sure that making sure that you're, you're staying focused. Number one, because it is easy to drift sometimes and let your thought go elsewhere. Especially, you know, I. I some people, you'll see some people, they're tweeting in between fights when they're on, on broadcast. They're sending some texts. I feel like that takes me out of the moment. So I try to just tuck that phone away and, and, and not get distracted even during, like, the commercial breaks or whatever, you know, making sure you're, you're staying focused and being in the moment. Um, you know, th that to me is, I guess, a challenge because it can be kind of long. But, you know, our shows aren't as long as the UFC shows, man. When you talk about those six and a half, seven and a half hours on mic and then, you know, add in Anik, you know, doing like a pre-show and a post-show and whatever else, man. It's it's crazy how long it's it's a longer day than than you think it can be, but um, but I love it, man. There's honestly, it's my favorite. I always I always say there's no place I'd rather be than cage side at a USC event on Saturday night. But the only time that changes when I got a headset on and you know I'm at CFFC or Fight League Atlantic or Tough Enough and I, and, I, and I get to talk about the fights, man. I, I absolutely love it. Most memorable moment you've been a part of on a broadcast. <laughs> I mean, there's been some amazing highlights, but it's got to be the missing finger with, with, with Kite Pliyev. I mean, that was like be, to to have I mean, to hear the words come out. Of, like I hear them in my head before I say <laughs> them, and to hear the words come out of my mouth that like his finger is gone. I mean, it was such a bizarre scene. I'm like, I can't believe what am I watching unfold. That is one I'll never forget, man. Just to to try in real time. Because you're not hearing everything, right? Because you've got the headset on, so you're not necessarily getting everything that's happening in there. Funny side story is uh, Punk, obviously being the guy that he is, it's hilarious. He's like, they're asking over the the loudspeaker for anybody to, to look for the finger. That's not true, but he was just having a little fun, you know? Right. And, and But right. I saw, like, in news reports about the event that, like, the MC was directing people to look for the finger. They used it as fact. And I was like, well, you know, let's, let's a little kayfabe here. You know what Throw I'm saying? It. Like, yeah, let's right. do it. <laughs> <laughs> throw, throw a little wrestling carny in there just for fun. <laughs> that was before, I let, before I let you get out of here, let everybody know what's coming up, where they can follow you, how they can follow the UG and everything you're doing. Yeah, follow all the UG accounts. Uh, and for me personally, John Morgan underscore MMA on Twitter, John Morgan MMA on Instagram. I'll try, not the best social media guy ever, but I try to keep you up to date with what I'm going. But we got a packed schedule, man. We got a lot coming on, man. I look forward to it, to seeing you in Vancouver and then uh, man, CFFC schedule's getting nuts. Fight League Atlanta's got a couple shows. So we'll be bouncing around. We'll keep you up to date. There's a lot. I can't even keep my calendar straight these days. It's getting loaded up, but I, I cannot wait for the, the back half this year. We have some pretty cool stuff happening. You'll be piling up the, the air miles. You'll be piling up the work. 
I'm looking forward to next week, getting back on the road. It's not really the road, but back on the road, getting back boots on the ground at an event. I look forward to seeing you and having that frosty beverage. We'll probably keep it lighter than, than, you know, the, the, the the craziest treble. I got, I got to drive home every night. I'm not not staying in the city. I'm just driving home. It's 45 minutes. I got to come back, hang out with my wife and my dog, but I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. My man. We'll keep it light and easy. I look forward to it, brother. I appreciate you coming on. For John, I am Spencer. This has been a conversation with. We'll see you next week.